Let's take your Bibles and turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And have your finger in 2 Corinthians 11. We'll be going to that shortly and then coming back to Philippians chapter 3. But we start off reading our text for today. And um, titled this message, Know the Lord. You know, do you really know somebody is a question to ask yourself. Uh, a, a wife walks in to the kitchen and sees her husband walking around with a fly swatter, just kind of stalking in there, you know. And she says, uh, honey, what you doing? He says, I'm hunting flies. She says, we got any yet? He said, yeah, I got two males and three females. She, How do you know? Well, the two males were on the TV remote, and the three females were on the telephone. <laughs> got them all, okay. If you didn't like that, uh, you're watching today. My name's Kevin Stembridge, and you <laughs> all right. All right. Okay, well, let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, understand when he's saying this, he had attained many things in life to this point before his salvation. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings been made conformable unto his death. Now shall we pray. Fathers, we read those words. It's so easy to pass over them and not even meditate on what they're saying. And yet, Lord, as we live in a country that's undergoing much change, a world that's going much change, a world that calls for Christians that are faithful, a a world that calls for Christians that are an example. A world that calls for Christians to be a witness. And the condition of a world that tells us there may be many religious but unsaved. And you've called us to be a light in the world. So Father, help us to respond to the call that you've put on each of our lives to rescue the perishing and care for the dying, to be what we ought to be in a lost and dying world. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. What is meant by know the Lord? Uh, I think of Joseph, uh, Mary's husband, Joseph and Mary, and the baby Jesus, of course. But the Bible tells us that Joseph, although they were Engaged, you might say, betrothed to one another, said he knew her not until the birth, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, 
That doesn't mean he didn't know who she was. He's betrothed. I mean, he had to know who she was to be betrothed. It says, knew her not until the birth of Christ. Of course, that's referring to their intimacy between a husband and wife. Because Mary would have other children after that, the seed of Joseph, but they would not be virgin born. James. You see the book of James here at the end of the Bible. That's not the apostle James. That was James, the brother of Jesus, who got converted after his resurrection. Jude. Another brother of Jesus. Converted after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But these are men who were born to Mary. I've told you the fact before how you meet, you marry somebody, and you say, boy, we just know each other, we're, we're soulmates, and then you kind of get together, then you find out things that you didn't know before, or just things about just day-to-day -day living that you didn't know about the person when you dated. I mean, goodness gracious, you can uh, always drop her off and, and go, go back home, and she's at home, and she does, now she, she can quit pretending, he can quit pretending, but they like the person. Maybe they're infatuated with the person, but they don't really know the person until they're married. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me one day that uh, he had married and, and his wife went to the beauty shop and got, had her hair done and got back and, how do you like my hair? And unfortunately, he told her the truth. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know what? I learned that she didn't mean that I wanted to say something really nice about her hair. She didn't want the truth. She wanted me to say something nice. She says, so when she comes back now, I said, boy, it looks great. <laughs> you know, I think he has his fingers crossed when he says that. But nonetheless, uh, it's, uh, it was knowing the person to know not what to say the next time. There are things that you as husbands and wives know automatically he would like that. She would like that. She'd hate that. No, I don't know how she would put up that, but I kind of think this. I don't know how he would respond, but my gut feeling is this. Because you know the person. You know the person. Well, what do you know about Jesus Christ? We're to live dedicated lives to Christ as Christians. We're to be faithful as Christians. We're to be what He wants us to be and do what He wants us to do. How do you know in everyday activity that this is what the Lord wants? You know, I, 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 I can just give you a few excuses over the years that I've heard, you know. Well, I don't think you have to be there every time the doors are open. Where did they find that in the Bible? Why is it all right not to show up for Jesus? Yeah, I... Well, yeah, I, you know, Sunday's my day to sleep in, so, yeah, I don't get to Sunday school or something. Well, yeah, I might be 15 minutes late, but listen, I'm there. Uh, how do they accept those excuses at work, on the job? Well, yeah, boss, uh, but, you know, the kids, I got to get the kids ready. And so, yeah, I'm 30 minutes late, but that's all right. I'm still going to work here today. That goes over big, doesn't it? But we expect Jesus Christ to accept excuses that we know our bosses never would. In other words, we have a higher standard in our life for the boss than we do for Jesus Christ in our relationship. 
oh, wait a minute, preacher, don't put it like that. But no, you know, actions speak a whole lot louder than words. Now, I'm not trying to set up here right off the bat and say, okay, what's wrong with you, idiot? <laughs> okay, no, that's not it at all. I'm just trying to make us aware of our relationship with Christ as Christians and knowing Him. You see, knowing Him affects our relationship with Him. Knowing who He is. For an example, uh, I'll say that God is holy. Well, how does that knowledge affect our relationship with Him? In our day-to-day -day conversations, in our day-to-day -day activities, how does the knowledge of knowing that God is holy and His eyes behold, His ears hear every second moment, there is nothing hid from Him. He even knows our thoughts afar off, the Psalms tells us in Psalms 139. So, how does knowing that God's holiness by the Word of God, how does it affect the way we live as Christians? Do you think America's in trouble? Do you think this world's in trouble? Do you think that this world is under threat of war and devastation? Do you think this country's about to go down the drain? Do you think that the morals have gone out the window? Do you think all these other things? If so, what should your relationship with Jesus Christ be by your knowledge of Him as a witness to this world? You know, I have to think about that. That's why when we read the Word, we are reading basically the mind of Jesus. When you open the Bible, as one pastor I heard say at one time you're seeing the mind of Jesus he breathed out every word so let's open the Bible and see what God is thinking and you know we've got to learn from that we've got to learn from that uh, it affects our relationship with God how is your relationship with God being affected by the obedience to the word of God I'm not asking what is your Luck today. You know, people think of it as luck. There's no luck involved. The Satan will help you prosper uh, financially and in other ways uh, if it'll keep you from the things of God, His holiness. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 here. Uh, be turning there. As you're turning there, I want you to realize this. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll be starting in verse 23, but in Hebrews 8 11, it says the following. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. Knowing the Lord, that's talking about the millennium. It's not talking about the age that we're living in. So what's the assumption there? You and I, as witnesses for Jesus Christ, need to help people know the Lord. More than just come to salvation, that's why we're to teach them to observe after they get saved all that He's commanded to get them, to help them know the Lord. We need to know the Lord the more as well. See, knowing God, you know Him by the Word of God. We're commanded in the Bible to love the Lord your God in Mark 12, 30 by soul, mind, heart, 
strength. We're to love the Lord with our all. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the way we're to love God. Now, God loves us. What if the first time we've messed up as a Christian, and we do it daily, by the way. Yeah, preacher too. We mess up. Okay. So, should he continue to keep us saved? Oh, yeah, he does. Does he stop loving us? No. He may have to chasten. He may have to scourge. But he doesn't stop loving us. Now, you think about that. Because the Bible tells us to love one another as Christ loved us. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Wives, you're to love your husband. First John chapter, uh, first yeah, First John chapter four verse twenty says this: If a man say, "I love God and hateth his brother," he is a liar. You hate a brother in Christ. You hate someone else. He says you're a liar to say you love God. Now think how hard that is. For he that loveth not is uh, his brother, whom he hath seen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him. That he that loveth God, love his brother also. Love is not measured by our sentimentality. Love is measured by the love of God. That is that point by which we measure what love is. So that tells me, first of all, love is a choice. It's not something that overcomes you. It is a choice which also is a commitment, as in marriage. I mean, you're going to have problems in marriage. Some people, they have a sign of a problem that happens the second time, they're gone. Well, it's time to get a divorce. Divorce is never an answer for a Christian. But nonetheless, Christians go through it. But the question is, is not to live there, but do I get up? How do I get up? And on we could go about the different things in life, but our love is a commitment as we are under the direction of the Word of God. Keep it in mind what love is. And I want to show it to you here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of a man who loved God. This is the Apostle Paul, actually. So let's look at there, verse 23, because he goes off saying, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am, in, I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Now, this is all for the cause of Christ that he's talking about here. What did the choice have to do with, with Paul in those things? The love of Jesus Christ, but loving Christ, it cost him. It cost Paul. Before his salvation, he is a member of the Sanhedrin, he is in a position of authority such that he could legally 
give consent to go ahead and stone Stephen to death. He had that authority. He is a wealthy man. And he says, of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. <laughs> they left him for dead that time. They thought he was dead. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. Now, you think about that. Rods, whips. I mean, the rods, sometimes those guys got beat with the rods. You know, we talk about the whips ripping away the flesh and the things they would do. Uh, the rod, a lot of times, would crack bones back and all that, and sometimes it affected the way they walked from that, uh, that time forward. The rods were a terrible, painful thing. In our in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils among mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city. Don't you think with the movements that are going on in America today that perils from your own countrymen? How safe is it to walk in cities? In perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And by the way, the way this is stated, it is these are continual things going on in his life. Wherever he'd go for Christ, wherever he was sent by the Lord, there were parables to meet him. God had to lead him every step of the way. False brethren may have been the biggest pain of heart to him because he had planted those local churches as a missionary on his missionary uh, trips with some of the other uh, team members like Titus and others. And, and they are now going through the painfulness of these things. Hunger and thirstings often, he goes on to say, in cold and nakedness. Then he had the oversight of all of those churches. Verses 31 through 33 says, The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under uh, Artus, the, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket, I was let down the wall and escaped his hands. See, they were going to kill him. He had just been saved not too long. The road to Damascus is where he got saved. Now, he's not been saved long, but he's already testifying for Christ. Now, I want you to keep all that in mind as, and, and see that he was driven to do that, to go through all of that, 
you have to be driven by love. It's kind of like there's a small child. It's your child. And you think of the mother, but the dads too, but the mother is at the bedside of that child. There's a chance that they won't make, they're not well, maybe they're in pain, and oh, it's a rough time. That mother is there day and night. They say, well, you need to go home rest. I'm not moving from here. Well, you need to eat something, bring it up. They're not leaving the side of that child. They're going to be with them. Why? What's motivating them? Love. Kind of gives you an understanding of what motivated the Apostle Paul. We don't worship Paul, but he did get to know the Lord so much that he loved him to endure all these things. Now go back to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. I just want you to see that passage to see the love of God. To love Him that way, you've got to learn to know God. And you're going to learn to know God by the Word of God. So we know how to only see a love that know the Lord brings about as you know Him. Next see, knowing, loving God, the, the love of knowing the Lord and its effect on you. Not just these things that we looked at, but on you. Keep it in mind, here in our text in uh, chapter eight, uh, 3 of Philippians, verses 8 through 10, that 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13 says this, It's not that we aren't warned, we are. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, and evil men shall wax worse and worse. So he says, Yea, doubtless, and now count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge. The knowledge, that intimate knowledge, knowing Him that we can only know through the Word of God as we study it and we meditate on it and we allow the very Holy Spirit of God that you received the moment you received Christ to teach you and help you learn more of the love of God. And I will tell you, as a person who has had a life of much study in the Word of God that I am still learning much. I realize there's much I haven't crossed yet, even daily in the Word of God. There is so much more. It's not an exhaustible book. And so, he counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. It's not that he wants to win Christ's affections. He knows he has those. He wants to consider himself a winner the more he gets to know the Lord in such intimacy as this text lays out for us. He wants to know. He counts the things that he had attained, and they were great things that he had attained in life. With all those riches and all that, 
he looks at them as on the level of manure. Dung. That's the level of everything that in men's eyes he lost. Boy, what was wrong with that guy? He got caught up by a cult. You see, men say that because they don't know Jesus Christ. You know, we've been called a cult from time to time. That's because people don't know Christ. If they knew the Christ, they'd want to know how to become a part. And he goes on in verse 9 and says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, because Paul, he kept the law better than most any of those priests did in his day before his conversion. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Other words, his righteousness was not going to be from the law. His righteousness must be the righteousness of Christ. We remember that in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, we are told that with the heart, remember we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That is the righteousness of Christ. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's why we tell people, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. We want them to be saved. And so in Ephesians 1, 6, again, the same apostle is used to write the words read that by the Holy Spirit that we are accepted in the Beloved. In other words, when I stand before God, it's not going to be my righteousness. It's going to be the righteousness of Christ. Amen. And I am accepted in the Beloved. You know, if you go to the White House today, and I'm not making a statement of whether you like the president or don't like him, but uh, you just don't walk in and say, hey, I'm here, I'm going in, I'm going to walk back here and see the president. That's not going to happen. You're going to have a bunch of men on top of you. But if the president comes out there and says, hey, glad you're here. Come on in here with me. Guys, he's all right. He's coming in with me. Okay, he's going in. I mean, he, he's the top top man. He's it. So he's going in. And that guy is allowed to go in. That any other circumstances he's not allowed to go in, but he's allowed to go in on his word. I'm allowed in heaven on the righteousness of Christ, not my own righteousness. And that's true for each and every one of us to know him. We must have the righteousness of Christ. How righteous was the Apostle Paul? You know, we know that the Word of God, that every word was written down by holy men, but they were breathed out by the Holy Spirit to them. So every word they wrote was not their word. It was the word the Holy Spirit says, write, write this down. And I think some of those men probably weren't really wanting to write these words down. Then in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul says, this is after salvation, everything. Oh, wretched man that I am. Wow. He knew that without Christ, he's just an old wretch. How can we not love the one that takes us from that point? 
to be accepted in the beloved. Now I want you to insert something. Now what I want you to do now, uh, I want you to answer amen or yes if you agree with me. Okay? Go ahead. It's all right to answer it out loud. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Okay. Do you believe in a rapture? Okay. Do you think it will be soon? Amen. Do you think, uh, what do you think the man uh, called a man after God's own heart, David, King David, that's what the Bible calls him, do you think he knew that God is holy? Amen. Yes, he did. Okay. Righteousness in verse 9 is the righteousness of Christ. Is the righteousness of Christ, is it holy? Is it moral? Is it ethical? Now, knowing that, Paul said, I'm a wretched man. David committed adultery after his salvation. He had to pray, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He didn't have to say, Lord, save me again. He's had to say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Abraham, going against what God said through Sarah, he'd receive a baby, but Sarah didn't think that that was possible because she's 90 years old, so it gives him Hagar, her handmaid. And then that adulterous relationship brings about a child that will cause what's going on today between Isaac and Hagar's son. Jacob knew God is holy. They all looked for the day when they would awake, as the psalmist says, with his likeness. Now, do you believe that? If you're saved, you're going to awake with his likeness. Do you believe that? Amen. Now, so let's review. You believe in a rapture. You believe that it's soon. You believe that He's holy. You believe that He's righteous. Are you as you want to be when God catches us up in the rapture? It wasn't going to happen then, but just imagine if there was a rapture in the Old Testament and David in the very act of adultery got caught up to be with the Lord. Think if Abraham got caught up in that very act when it was going on. Think of 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, where the thoughts and the intents of the heart will be made known. Think if God had raptured Moses when he murdered a man. 1 John 2.28 is very clear that His appearing, some are going to be ashamed. Some will have confidence. That's written to Christians. On we could go of, of those that failed in the Scriptures. And you think of that. David, those guys. Just think of what goes on today. I social drink. You want the Lord to rapture you with this drink in your hand? 
You see, a lot of times we have justification. There's not anything wrong with that. I don't think God, you know, Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, said, I don't think a good God would create a hell. You see, he is trying to establish, and the Christians do the same thing. They try to establish a standard that lessens Christ's holiness and pro promotes the flesh and says, hey, I don't see anything wrong with the drink. I don't see anything wrong with this and that. You don't have to be there at the church every time the door opens. You don't have to be to Sunday school on time. Hey, I need to say this about those leaders. I need to say this. For example, let's just say the Christian school. Let's use the Christian school. Well, if this is going on, it's appropriate then. Uh, but somebody says, I think the way Brother Osborne is doing this thing, he didn't need to put these programs in. He is, oh man. Or they're down on the principal. Or they're down on somebody else. And they're down and then they talk to one another about it. Okay. Just imagine they're doing that and they get caught up to be at the Lord. They're not going to be able to say, Lord, I was justified in doing that. They're not going to be any way they can. They are going to be totally ashamed and see that in a ministry, and that's why I'm saying this, using that as an example, but they're working in a ministry which should lay up rewards, and they're seeing the reward burn up. How can we be happy about that? We can't be happy about it, but we really can't say we believe it if. Okay, here's that if coming in again. If we're doing those things, to say that we believe in a rapture, we believe that it could happen at any time, oh, we believe that God is holy. Perhaps you're in the middle of talking against another Christian, you're gossiping and spreading that stuff around. Understand. Imagine get caught up. Imagine a man is committing adultery with a woman when he gets caught up. Imagine a woman is cheating on her husband when she gets caught up. Imagine... Imagine a child is doing something, drugs or something else, smoking, whatever, behind the parent's back, and they get caught up. Imagine a parent telling the uh, authority, oh, you're just too strict. Oh, you're too legalistic. Oh, you're too this. Just imagine getting caught up at that moment. Ashamed at his appearing. Now look at verse 10. We went through all those things that Paul suffered. <laughs> Folks, I, I'm not going to stand here and say, man, I could do that. I could not have. And frankly, Paul couldn't do it without the power of God and the Lord being actually first in his heart and life. What he did was right. Churches were planted all across Europe and other places, Asia. But, He says, that I may know him. Uh, that I may know him? Uh, after reading what we saw in 2 Corinthians 11, which happened before this in Philippians chapter 3, and he writes that, that I may know him? You'd think to serve him and to suffer those things, he had to love him and to know him and it's why his love grew. And yet, he realizes as much as he has learned and loves Christ and knows Christ, Christ is not limited. 
there is so much more to know about him. I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That guarantee that his life also will be resurrected. And he must be ready at all times. Resurrection is sure, so he knows I better be ready at all times. And when you believe in the power of his resurrection, you're ready at all times, and you're not caught up in those things. Am I like what I want him to find me when he comes? Because we must all ask ourselves that question. What is undone cannot be done at that point. Things that you should have made right with another believer and you didn't. Things that you were in sin with. You were out drinking with those guys, but you never went back to You got saved, you got things right, but you never went back for a witness. You were in those sins and, and you never got it right. What are you going to do at the judgment seat of Christ when all is revealed. I was listening to Dr. Curtis Hudson's, uh, an old, <laughs> I wasn't listening to him in person because he's been dead for quite a while. But I was listening to a tape of his. And he was talking about Revelation 21, and all tears from be dried from their eyes. He shall wipe all tears from their eyes. And you say, well, you know what? Earlier in Revelation, a couple times earlier, it says that he shall wipe all tears from their eyes. Again? You see, yeah, they had tears back then. They were wiped. Then they were wiped again. But this time he says something new that he had not said in those other passages. And there shall be no more pain, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor tears, for the former things are passed away. So why are there tears after they've been wiped away a few times before? Because now... As Christians, we stand at the white throne judgment. Not that we're judged. We've already been through the judgment seat of Christ. We're saved. We're in heaven. But those without Christ are at the white throne. And those you've sinned with, they're being cast into the eternal lake of fire, and that blood is on your hand. That neighbor you could have witnessed to, and we didn't. That blood is on our hand. That person we work with, and we could have arranged a time either to go out to eat with them or, or to sit on a break with them and, and give them the gospel, and we didn't. That blood is on our hand. Ezekiel chapter 33. Now, I've heard people say, well, you shouldn't say something like that. If God said it, I'm going to say it. God says it's going to be that way. Don't try to explain it away some other way. Don't try to say, I don't think God would. Because that's the problem, is that you're thinking what God should do instead of what God says to do. That's why you heard me say something earlier about being on time for Sunday school, church, and so forth like that. A pastor used to saying, I'm a bad, backslidden Christian. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying uh, it would be the love of God. I mean, just think being two hours late for your wedding. Well, you know, I, I love her. It doesn't matter if I'm late a couple hours. That will go over real big. Why is it, again, we want God to say it's all right, the things that we know the world or anyone else won't accept? Do we think God is stupid? 
then the things that we say is saying, God, you're stupid. And I know you don't mean it that way, but the actions are saying it. Go by God's Word. Be committed to Him. Be faithful to His Word. Be faithful to His house. And be faithful to serve Him. Why? Because I'm your pastor and I don't want you to fail. Not because of me, but because of my Savior and what He wants to do in you and do through you. I had a young man one time that was going to leave in the middle of the school year and wrote a resignation. I said, you know, when you signed your contract, you said, uh, for this amount of time and all that, you're going to be there. Well, I disagree with the policies. Huh. Policies are the same as when you came. So I said, you know, so you're going to be a liar and do that. Didn't say a word. Just left. Now, what I'm saying is, is that your word to God ought to at least mean something. It ought to mean something. We ought to know the Lord and keep this in mind in knowing the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable Service And that word service in its Greek root has the idea of worship. Worshiping God with the way you live. And it's not going to be worship of Him if it's not holy and acceptable. That's why you won't hear rock and roll music in this church as long as I'm here. That's why we're going to have standards as long as we have good people here that are going to stand by the standards. We're not going to have those that come in here and try to change it. You don't identify, and I'm not the one that identifies or defines what holiness is and righteousness is it is God it's his word and if you can't accept that what is your salvation based on have you forgotten now you're if you're here and you're not sure if you die today that heaven's your home you can sit back here doing that with your hands all right Man, he gave it to them. He gave it to them. That doesn't affect me. I'm not, I'm not saved. Yeah. But let me tell you what does affect you. If you don't know the Lord, there's two things I want you to realize. I mentioned just a few moments ago of Revelation, the tears being wiped from the eyes and as it applied to Christians. But for you, it applies in Revelation chapter 20. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yours and an eternity in a lake of fire where you'll never cease to exist. You will never cease to be tormented. You'll never cease to feel the pain, the torments, and anything else of the fire that God prepared for the devil and his angels. If it's something that'll, that really torments devils, those super spirits, it will torment you. And, and you are like, well, hey, all my friends be there. We're going to have a party. Yeah, well, the part, kind of party you have is not going to be the party that you want. Never ceasing to exist, never able to escape. Oh, I'll get saved later. I'll put it off. 
Proverbs 29.1, I want to close with this. He that being often reproved, often reproved, often see that you need to be saved. You need to repent. You need to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to give your heart and life to Him. He that continually hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy in hell. The rich man, remember, in Luke, in hell. Well, that's 2,000 years ago about when that was written. That's still 2,000 years later. He's still in hell, and he's still never going to have an escape. Are you ready as a Christian to meet God? But I would ask that as well if you're not sure you're saved. Are you ready to meet God? Christian, we read of the sufferings of Paul as this world grows worse and worse. How does your life now show that you would stand when you can't even stand with Christians and say, I don't think God would expect us to do this. I don't think that. I think that if, if they would just do away with some of those standards, for example, in the school, that, oh, it would grow. I don't want to grow the devil. I don't want to grow the devil. I want to grow Christ-likeness. And friend, Christian, this is not Andy Bloom's church, it's Christ's church. We are laborers together with God. So let's do it. Let's do it. Let's bow our heads, please.